I'm Tavis Smiley, and we're glad to have you along with us today. In this hour, is there a right way to talk about black culture? Everybody wants to exploit black culture, but how can we rethink the complexities of the intersections of politics, speech, and art, and reimagine a nuanced and new way of seeing and appreciating black culture? Uh, we'll try to make sense of all that in this hour with acclaimed University of Texas professor and author, Dr. Roger Reeves, whose new book is called Dark Days, Fugitive Essays. Dr. Reeves, good to have you on this program. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's Thanks. my great delight to have you. Thank you. Glad we have an hour, a lot to, lot to unpack in this hour. Let me start with uh, uh, some, some big and bold questions, if I may, and then we'll, sure. we'll, we'll, we'll get more into the, into the, the details of the, of the text that you've written. Again, it's called Dark Days. Fugitive, fugitive essays by our guest in this hour, Dr. Roger Reeves. Um, I, I guess the big question I want to start with is how you read, even in this moment, historically, we just heard Nina Simone's voice, of course, and so we, we know the ways in which black culture has been exploited in years past. Um, let me start by asking in this present moment whether or not you still see, writ large, the exploitation of black culture. Yes. Um, how do I say? <laughs> America moves on the exploitation of black culture. Mm. Um, I, it's it's in it's in our fabric. It's in the fabric of the nation. Uh, so yes, ex- exploitation is still occurring. Uh, I think it just looks a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything you know, the the way the way uh, exploitation is going to look is going to change depending on who's doing it, right? Um, I think about, for instance, the way in which our protests can be used to, you know, when we're protesting in 2020, the, the unrighteous killings of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, mm-hmm. and the way in which, some, you know, corporations can um, use the images, right, to sell soda, right? Mm-hmm. That's a way of thinking about uh, exploitation. So, yeah, I would, I would yeah, I'm think so yep very much so in in what ways since you said it looks different um in what ways um to your mind at least is black uh black cultural exploitation different today how does it look different today than it did back in the day well it depends on what back what days in the back we're talking about mm-hmm. you know what i mean so Fair enough so for instance, it's not, you know it's not enslavement um mm-hmm. it's not uh segregation right we're mm-hmm. we're not in those eras right but I think we are in an era of um, – this is what's interesting is that we, we're in an era where I think sometimes we are complicit mm. in our exploitation. Um, and I think it's through things um, like social media, to be honest with you. Mm. I think there's a way in which social media – I know everybody wants to use it and we find it to be useful – Certain ways, but I think there's a way in which social media is um, contributing to our exploitation. Because what are we doing? What are we sort of posting our grievances for? For likes, for retweets, sometimes, right? To build clout. Um, so I, I, I find that I, see, I find the way social media, the way we interact with social media, um, the, the desire to be loquacious, mm-hmm. right? To talk, right? That being pulled always to talk and to, and I don't know about what all this talking does sometimes. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what I would, would, would say. 
I want to. Uh, I, I am a talk show host, so trust and believe. I want to come. I want to come back to that talking piece, uh, the talkative nature of our culture. I want to come back to that uh, in this conversation. Trust and believe. Uh, put a pin in that. We'll we'll get to that. But it is always um, risky, uh, and you you obviously rolled the dice. It's always risky uh, to say that black folk are complicit in their own exploitation, mm-hmm. and yet mm-hmm. you said that without any hesitation or equivocation whatsoever, sir. Uh, yeah, partly because I think we've, I say that partly because I think we're, sometimes I wonder if we, you know, I'm going to say something, we're going to use the big C word, capitalism, right? So I just wonder what our critiques of capitalism are Mm -hmm. and, and the ways in which we sort of are interested in becoming bosses, Mm. right? And then that's sort of the, the desire to be the boss, right? And I, and I have to ask, what does that mean? What is normally the boss is sort of putting workers to work in in a way that's sort of for the benefit of the boss and not for the workers. Right. And we know that historically that Mm -hmm. the the workers have been us. And so I just want to, the the questions I want to, want to ask us, a lot of this book is about actually talking to us about how are we participating, right. In our own liberation struggles, our own, like, how are we thinking about the language of these things? How are we thinking about, um, what does it mean to to desire to be a boss? What is it? What does it mean to desire to get the bag? Yeah. Who has to be exploited to get the bag? Mm. Yeah, right. Like if you know, like, and if it might not be, it might not be, it might not be uh, black folks in America, but it might be us exporting that exploitation to China. No, to no. Africa, right? Like, there, there's ways in which we have to think about, right? Uh, trying to impl- enter into these like global supply chains and these global markets and become bosses and ballers okay. and all that. Like, let, 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 let me let me do this. This you, I see you about to take off now, uh, and not even like a jet plane, like a rocket. Uh, let me <laughs> let me just pause for a second and say, given what he's already said, I got a whole lot of questions. It's gonna be a great hour, even richer than I perhaps thought. Uh, we're just getting started with Dr. Roger Reeves. His new book is called Dark Days: Fugitive Essays. We are going to talk about the exploit of black culture, sometimes by black folk, on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. What? May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Indeed you are, and I'm glad about it. You're listening to Tavis Smiley in conversation with Dr. Roger Reeves, um, University of Texas professor, author of the new book, Dark Days, Fugitive Essays, and really just getting started in this hour, and it's going to be rich, as I said a moment ago. I was just sitting here during that break thinking, where am I Where, where am I going to start? Because you've already said so much, Dr. Reeves, <laughs> that, that, I want, that, I, that I want to interrogate. And let, let, me, let me start with this. Uh, and, I, and I say start with, I should say stay with. We were talking about uh, the ways in which uh, black people are complicit uh, in, in our own exploitation. And by the way, in case you've just tuned in, we're talking about whether or not there's a right way to talk about black culture. Everybody wants to exploit black culture, but how do we rethink the complexities and the intersections of politics and speech and art uh, and reimagine a more nuanced way of seeing and appreciating black culture. So we're talking all things black culture in this hour with Dr. Roger Rees, in case you just tuned in. With that reset, let me let me come back to this notion of, of our own complicity. It occurred to me as I was sitting here during that break thinking about what you had said heretofore, that there's no way one could argue necessarily that black folk were complicit in slavery and segregation. 
certainly there is the narrative, and we know the truth, that there were Africans who sold other Africans into sure. slavery. No question about that. We sure. have to we have to own that. But I'm talking about yeah, I'm course. talking about stateside. Once once we get here, once we are brought here, yeah. uh, as Maya yeah. Angelou said, we were stolen, bought, and sold into slavery, arriving on a nightmare, praying for a dream. That's Maya Angelou from a poem on the pulse of morning. So we're here now. So it's hard to argue that once here. Uh, we are enslaved. We are complicit, rather, in our own enslavement. We can't be complicit right. in that. We can't no. be complicit necessarily no. in Jim Crow or Jane Crow. Um, that's what was done to us. So I want to just break this thing down for a second. To your mind, when did we get to a point in black history where we became expl- became complicit, rather, in our own exploitation? Well, I'm going to let's let can we nuance even sure. slavery? So let's we, nuance we have it. to nuance we have to nuance like enslavement okay. um, and, and, and victim and victimizer, right? There's this really great book uh, called Critique of Black Reason mm-hmm. by um, South African um, uh, writer, philosopher named Killian Bembe. And he puts forth, and might I read to you just a few sentences sure. that he puts forth about victim and victimizer on the plantation. Okay. Right. Um, and, and so just briefly, he just to give an overview, he, he says that, you know, we think of enslavement as people being in very stable positions, like the enslaved were only victims. Right. Um, and so he offers that he says the blacks on the plantation were furthermore diverse. They were hunters of maroons and fugitives, executioners and executioners' assistants, skilled slaves, informants, domestics, cooks, emancipated slaves who were still subjugated, concubines, field workers assigned to cutting cane, workers in factories, machine operators, masters, companions, and occasionally soldiers. Their positions were far from stable. Circumstances could change, and one position could become another. Today's victim could tomorrow become an executioner in the service of the master. It was not uncommon for a slave, once free, to become a slave owner and hunter of fugitive slaves. So that's, I know that's going like maybe rough some feathers, but one of the things we do have to think about is that these aren't stable positions, mm-hmm. right? Victim and victimizer, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that one of the things that I'm trying to think about in the book, right, and and is the nuanced way that we're slipping back and forth because there is a like, there is a way if you know once you travel outside the U.S. or you you move with a U.S. blue passport mm-hmm. into the world, there's a type of privilege that comes with that. Sure, right. Even if when we're here in the United States, the police are occupying our communities, right. Um, and so one of the things I want to I'm thinking about is how do we negotiate that? How do we begin to sort of be aware of the way in which we can become in in in, in our seeking liberation, right? In our mm-hmm. seeking freedom, we can also victimize, mm-hmm. right? Which is a which is a uh, I I something that I have to say I wasn't thinking about my whole life, mm-hmm. right? I can't say I've always thought this way about uh, where we where we are as Black folks, but I want us to think about this particularly because. The black dollar, when it moves into the world, moves into the world very differently than the black dollar from Brazil or even the mm-hmm. black dollar from Nigeria or the black dollar from Mozambique, right? Like it's moving in the world very, very differently. Right. And when we're going about thinking about moving our money in the world and, and moving into the world, we are moving with, with a simultaneity 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, let me just say this before I move forward. Uh, at least the South African writer that you referenced a moment ago and read from his text, at least he didn't go full Kanye and say that slavery was a choice. No. I, I was just, I was I was bracing myself. I was bracing. No. So every, everything, you say, everything you read, you know, is true. It, it, to your point, it ruffles some feathers. Uh, just as I said moments ago, it ruffles feathers to remind black people that Africans, some Africans, did sell other Africans into mm-hmm. slavery. Right. No question about it. It ruffles feathers. But again, he didn't go full Kanye. Thank God for Jesus no, that he didn't no. say that slavery was a choice. <laughs> no, so, it's not. It's not that at all. No, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> we're not saying that at all. Right. But we also have to remember there there were black conservatives. Yeah. Right. Like. You know, like, I think there's this idea, you know, one of the things to talk about how to talk, I love the question, you know, who gets it. I think it's not, I think it's about the ethics and the, of talking about black culture, right? How do we talk about black culture ethically, responsibly, in a nuanced fashion, in a non-monolithic fashion, mm-hmm. right? We, we're, we're a diverse community. Mm-hmm. We have diverse interests, diverse desires, yeah. right? And and that's what makes us beautiful is that literal, like, not being the same. <laughs> yeah. No. So, 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 so let me, let me, let me do this then. Um, language matters. Um, and you know that being a professor and being a writer, language matters. I, I hear the point you're making now. So let me just back up for a second and ask you then to critique as you see it, the language that we employ, the way that we we'll get to the white folk, to get white folk in a second, but critique for me, if you will, the way that we language our conversations about black culture. Mm. This is interesting. Um, one of the things I think, I, you know, one of the ways that we language and the way we come in is I think we always want to make black, our successes exceptional, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. about like being exceptional. And I actually think that's really dangerous because not all of us are going to be exceptional mm-hmm. and we don't need to all be exceptional, right? Some of us need to be mediocre mm-hmm. or some of us need to be in the middle, right? Um, I think that we have to allow the nuance, right? Like we, we, we don't have to be magic, mm-hmm. right? And, and magic our lives, right? Because I also think that when we're doing the magic black, you know, you know, hashtag black girl magic or hashtag black boy magic, what we're setting up is a certain type of, um, I don't know, rubric and hierarchy that we might not always be able to hit. It also requires a type of perfection and a lack of maybe, um, the ability to make a mistake, mm-hmm. right? Like one of the things that I would love for us to be able to accept is that we're not that that we make mistakes, that mm-hmm. we're learning, that we're growing, and that we must we can grow in front of each other, we can grow with each other, mm-hmm. right? That we can we can have things like forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Like to me, these are these are the ways in which I I would love to see us begin to talk about right um, ourselves, and I think you know, um, but I think what we're doing is we're trying to sort of conjure and bring about like an aliveness right a a beauty of being alive right and that's the thing that i would love to see i think you know there's many ways we talk about ourselves um but i think uh those are the ways in which i find to be a little problematic not problematic just can we nuance this can we not always have to be exceptional 
So, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with you, man. You, you moving faster than a speeding bullet, uh, and yet, <laughs> I'm sorry, and yet, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. no, 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 no. Don't, don't ever apologize for that, man. I love the way your mind works. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, and I, I, this ain't my first rodeo, so I'm, I'm keeping up with you. I'm just saying you're moving fast. I know you. Are. Uh, I know so you. Are. Let, let me do. I've been, I've been, I've been following your shows for years. I, look, I've been, I've watched and listened to your show since I was a boy. So this is, this is exciting to me. <laughs> you are kind. You were kind. It's exciting for me as well. Let, let me do this uh, because you keep adding on. So. There are two things running through my head. Let me do it in this order. One, I'm trying to juxtapose your notion, which I which I which I received. I received in the spirit that you offered it, and I wish it were more true, that we as black folk, um, speaking of black culture and black or uh, black exploitation, that we would allow ourselves to make mistakes, and that we would be that we'd find uh, grace notes. That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Yeah. That we would mm-hmm. find grace notes. When uh, our brothers and sisters do, in fact, make mistakes rather than getting into this trap that the larger culture uh, is now in, engrossed in uh, canceling people. Uh, there's a distinct yeah. difference between allowing people, obviously, to make mistakes and having some humanity and some humility about that versus canceling black folk who we don't agree with. Your thoughts about that dichotomy? Yeah, I think that. One of the things I wonder is I I, I find America and Americans mm-hmm. um, we have a, because we're such a, a young country um, I find we don't have um, a great capacity yet for forgiveness mm-hmm. and for and for thinking about um, I actually think this is why you know there's difficulty around like reparations for black folks because you have to admit fault. Mm. And I think one of the most difficult things it seems to be for America is to believe that we have faults. We make faults. And and, and when we do, we, we just get embarrassed by them and try to hide them. Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to saying, you know what, let's deal with sort of some of these things. Um, like I think about the truth and reconciliation committees. Right? Sure. So in terms of canceling and things like that, um, and, I, would, I think uh, it's a difficult conversation um, that needs to be had about, right, that it's about justice, too, and how we frame justice, how we think about what, what nope. justice is. Nope. And, I, and I just wonder if we might not need to sort of reconvene. Yeah, and have a have different conversations around what do we really want? What is what is the justice we really see? Sure. Let um, let, let, let me know. be let me be more exacting about that. I think the yeah. last folk on the planet. Let me just preface this by saying that black people, as you well know, are the most forgiving people on the planet. Um, yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes to our own detriment, but we are a very forgiving right. people. And somehow, and somehow, we have moved into this space from being a forgiving people. To, to playing this game of, of, of cancel culture. And it just seems to me, to my point of being more exacting, the last folk on the planet to be engaging in cancel culture ought to be black folk. Did you, I mean, you just, you cannot justify to me under any circumstance, any condition ever, how black folk engage in canceling people. We are the last folk, given all that's happened to us, who ought to ever be engaged in cancel culture. That's just, that's just my read of it. I, I hear you. I, I, you, dis- you disagree? You disagree? People. No, 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 no. I okay. want to take it further. Okay. We should also be the last people to believe in prison mm-hmm. mm. and to believe in the police mm. Mm. and to believe those senses of justice because it's the same sense of justice. Mm-hmm. 
It's not rehabilitate. It's it's not redress. Let me let me let me push right. back. Let me, let me push back on the police part and the prison part. And I'm doing this for the sake of argument. I want to pull the best out of you, which which I which obviously I ain't got to work too hard to do. It's coming out anyway. But 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 let me push back. If if black people are the disproportionate victims of violent crime, while we don't want just anybody being a police, we don't want rogue cops. If we are the disproportionate victims of violent crime, then why should we not believe in some sort of law and order? Oh, that's okay. How do we? You just but you. You, we, I like how you tried. It, like for me, it felt like you slipped. You slipped the yoke a little bit. What I mean is, <laughs> law and like what I'm, law and order, or what is law? What is order? Right, right. Is not always equivalent to the police. Fair enough. And to policing. Fair enough. Right. I think we can think about forms of justice, mm-hmm. and this is going to be difficult because I don't think we we would have to be very imaginative and radical in our imagine imagining of what's possible, but. We have to think about how law and quote unquote order uh, ultimately reinscribes conventional slash um, white supremacist notions, white supremacist notions of power. Mm-hmm. All all that to say is that the police just re- are, are protecting property. The police are there to reinscribe what they've always been there to inscribe, which is to protect white people's property, mm-hmm. right and 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 our justice system is there to foster that, right? It starts out of slavery. We know, you know, we can look at the new Jim Crow. We can we can think about all the different folks and scholars that have written about mm-hmm. uh, the history of policing and what policing really is about, right? And so I understand that we experience a disproportionate um, nature of violence, but there's also I remember when I was a teen, I was really into. I was from Jersey, and I was really into research and like you know, prisons and, mm-hmm. and like sort of the, the in, in the disproportionate ways that black folks are in prison. And I remember going to a youth facility, I think it was in Rahway in the 90s, and it's in my book, and I'm visiting there and I'm talking to the warden. The warden says to us, you know, the average cr- uh, criminal in New Jersey is a 70-year-old white boy. Mm-hmm. But when you look in this prison, it's nothing but black folks in this no. prison. Why is it? Because the justice system is great, nope. right? And so... So but my my issue with, with, with the way is that law and order is there to, to ensure order for certain people and to allow certain people to be nope. sort of um, inside the law. Fair enough. Fair, fair enough. I, I, I receive that. I receive that. Um, as I said, you, 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 you're dropping jewels, um, dropping bars, as they say, so fast. It's hard to keep up. Uh, when we come forward, though, I want to come straight away to this. You mentioned moments ago this notion of the pressure that that we feel that you wish we didn't feel to always be exceptional. I want to juxtapose that notion of the pressure to always be exceptional with black excellence. To to use your word nuance, I want to nuance this because I don't think the pressure to always be exceptional is the same as striving for black excellence. That's my read. We'll unpack that when we come forward with Dr. Roger Reeves, author of the new book, Dark Days, Fugitive Essays. You're listening to Roger Reeves right now on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Tavis Smiley. Smiley. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is Dr. Roger Reeves. In case you've just tuned in, we are talking about whether or not there's a right way to talk about black culture. Everybody wants to explore our culture, but how um, do we uh, nuance and find new ways to see and appreciate black culture 
And uh, we've been having a rich dialogue in this hour about the ways in which we are complicit <laughs> oftentimes uh, in our own exploitation when it comes to the culture that we have given the world. So much has been said already in this conversation. I've been trying to keep up with Dr. Reese. Um, let me let me come to this. As I said a moment moments ago, this notion that you raised earlier uh, that you wish we as black folk when it comes to our culture and the way in which we show up in the world. You wish that we didn't always feel the pressure to be exceptional. I take that. I receive that. And yet, to me, that's something different than this notion of striving for black excellence. I, 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 I can I can be simpatico with you on the first point, so long as you're not telling me on the second point that this notion of achieving and striving for black excellence is problematic as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it is. Okay, I, good, I, good. I, like one of the things that I think though is that um, these these conversations are actually tied up in economies and finance and monetizing what is exceptional or excellence. Like one of the things I remember is I had a mentor. His name is Dr. Daniel Black, uh, and Dr. Black once said, "You know, if you walk in your gift well enough, right, everybody will will be able to like." benefit from the fruits of it or the beauty of it, right? Mm -hmm. But the benefit might not be financial, right? It might not be able to be monetized. Your excellence might not be monetized. So I'll give you a great example. There was a, I'm going to tell you about this excellent black man that I had the fortunate uh, enough to cross his path, had had, had been fortunate enough to cross his path. His name was Mr. Percy. He used to live here in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. And he was this old black man that tended a garden um, at this uh, doctor's office. And Mr. Percy was the epitome, I think, of, like, beauty. Mm. And everybody that came by, and, like, he would stand there after he was done gardening, and he would just sing to you. Mm. He would just sing a song or he'd give you a flower. And I think of that as black excellence. Mm -hmm. But do we think of that as black excellence? He couldn't monetize that, but every student that, that crossed his path felt it. A glow, a light, a beauty. That to me is a type of excellence. Or I think about, I grew up in this Pentecostal church and there was this older black woman named Mother Morris. And she made sure that every, at the end of every service, every child had a piece of candy and they got a good word from her. And I remember some of the things she said as a boy, she was in her 90s. And I remember that, that she took the time to talk to every child in the church. Mm -hmm. That's black excellence to me. Right. Are we thinking about that alongside Serena Williams? Mm -hmm. Are we thinking about that type of black excellence alongside someone like a Cory Booker? Right. Or Barack Obama mm -hmm. or who, whoever. Right. I want us to think about the ways in which we are already sort of in our communities coming upon and living with and being blessed and our lives being sort of made beautiful by excellence. Yeah. Right. And that but we might not see these people as exceptional. Mm -hmm. No. Um, a couple of things. Number one, um, your mentor, Dr. Daniel Black, was a guest on this program literally two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was on this program and we were talking specific. I was trying to think what he was on for. We were talking. I, it just came to me. Uh, I invited him on uh, and he was brilliant as always. Uh, we were talking yeah. about the, 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 the double, the doubling down that Ron DeSantis was doing at that moment 
on his notion mm. that slavery was beneficial to black folk. Uh, mm. And you can only imagine, Terrible. since he's your mentor, you can only imagine that Dr. Black went all the way there uh, when he yes, showed sir. up uh, yes, for that conversation about whether or not slavery was good for black folk. If you missed that conversation, by the way, all of our shows become podcasts. So you can always go to our, our uh, Tavis Smiley, the Tavis Smiley Show.com, the Tavis Smiley Show.com, and listen to any show you may have missed. But uh, I highly recommend the podcast of Dr. Daniel Black. Uh, on this program just a couple weeks ago, you will be uh, uh, empowered and entertained by by Dr. Black in, in that conversation. The second the second thing that comes to mind is you were talking about Mr. Percy. Uh, I, I thought of Mr. Wendell. You may be too too young mm-hmm. for that song. Remember Arrested Development, Mr. Wendell? Yeah, of course, Mr. Wendell. You, yeah, you got song? it. You got it. Uh, I thought of, I thought of Mr. Wendell uh, when you were talking about Mr. Percy and how that is also. Uh, an illustration of black excellence. And so I take your point, but my mind went to Mr. Window and Arrested Development when you were mm. literally, you, you, were, you were painting a picture and I was seeing that, that video uh, and hearing that song uh, in, in my head. That said, uh, let, let, let me pivot now um, to this notion of, uh, of everybody wanting to be a boss. Since you were talking about a few bosses a moment ago, mm. from Serena to Corey to Barack Obama, um, a bunch of bosses I and mean, other names we could, right. of course, put on that list. And and I was I'm, I'm fascinated by the critique that you started to offer earlier in this conversation about the things that we are willing to do the ways that we are willing to show up, the things that we are willing to sacrifice to get the bag by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. You started mm-hmm. down that path. I want to go a little further. So uh, take, take me a little further down that path. Yeah, so I think mm, this is coming out of, like, you know, reading and stuff. So uh, And reading and living, right, living mm-hmm. life. Like, I think there's there's... I want to nuance black. How do I say? It? I, I wish we could have conversations, and maybe this is the beginning. Maybe some conversations about having black businesses that circulate money within the black community. Mm-hmm. Like, also, you know, I'm thinking about Carter G. Wilson, right? The Miseducation of sure. Negro, where he says the black scholar's job is twofold, right? It's to write the books, but also to create the businesses that help circulate uh, money within the black community, right? I think I want to nuance that from uh, becoming a mogul. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Like, I don't want people to think like Roger Reeves is out here talking about he anti-business. This is not an anti, like, entrepreneurship mm. sort of thing. Right. Like, I think, you know, having a mom and pop shop in your neighborhood where people can come and buy groceries or buy food or buy clothes. Right. That's different. Right. Than you working for like becoming an international conglomerate or, you you know, uh, you become, you know, part of a, you you're a venture capitalist, right? Mm-hmm. It's a VC firm or something. Those are very, very different sure. sort of things that I want to have sort of a nuance, you know, a more nuance. So when I'm when I'm critiquing in that moment of becoming boss is the desire to be a mogul, mm-hmm. which is really the desire for exploitation. Mm-hmm. But that, but that's the right? goal. Because, but that's the goal of every Negro in, in entertainment these days. Everybody's trying to be a mogul. Everybody wants to be on that Forbes list of a billionaire. I mean, I mean, I, you, you can see I it. Agree. You can see the yeah. ways in which they move. It's not about. Um, serving their people, and I'm not, you know, I'm like, I'm like Jay Z yeah. and, and Mary J. I ain't knocking no hustle, but you can right. see the ways in which they are moving. The goal is to be a mogul. The goal is to be on the billionaires list, and that is a sickness that I think has infused too many people I know in this business. I don't disagree with you. I don't know none of them, but I from afar, yeah, uh, I can see it. I, I think that we have to look at where that desire comes from, right? And I think you know it's the it's the 
it's the American dream, American myth, right? Like you have to become this really larger than life figure as opposed to, you know, who's, I wish some of these celebrities would, would have sat down with mm. or, or who I would love to see is people forget that Harry Belafonte, who Harry Belafonte <laughs> is yeah. and what he meant to the civil rights movement, yeah. to the King family, right? To like the radicality, right? This was someone who was, becoming the first black person to be successful in entertainment, to have mm-hmm. his own talk show on TV, right? Like, mm-hmm. Harry Belafonte was doing all the things that these people, and was funding our most radical right. uh, parts of our community and keeping our black leaders afloat so that they could do the job yeah. of going out and rallying the people and being activists, right? And I, I just I, I, I just wish we had a, a sort of a longer or a, um, a more robust uh, understanding of that, right? And I wish our, our, our the, the desire to be this mobile, like I wish some people would have been like, you know, Harry Belafonte seems to be somebody that that yeah. did this, right, in a very ethical way. Well, that that the th- the thing is that um, to your to your brilliant point, and um, Harry Belafonte was not trying to be a mogul. He wasn't trying to be on the billionaires list, and he did quite well in his life. But that was not the end game. And I think that's my critique and that's your critique. That that ought not to be the end game. The end game ought not to be I want to be a mogul. Uh, I want to be a boss. I want to get the bag. I want to be on the billionaires list. If the end, if that's your end game, then that that that's that's problematic. Because again, that's not what Belafonte was all about. Neither was uh Belafonte's mentor, Paul Robeson, about that. And yet both of them were phenomenally successful. Uh, and made grand contributions, but that was not the end game. I digress on that for now. We'll continue when we come forward. With Roger Reeves, author of the new book, Dark Days, Fugitive Essays on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory, expand of, ideas? Your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. I've got three quick minutes here in this conversation, Dr. Reeves, just three minutes left in this dialogue, which I've enjoyed immensely. So let me do two things right quick in three minutes before this conversation gets silenced. To your point about the value of silence, uh, what does silence look like in this moment? I think it's uh, not putting everything on social media, and particularly when we're trying to organize in ways that are going to benefit black people but um, might be detrimental to the organizing of America at large. And so what I mean is I think about the bus boycotts again, mm-hmm. right? If we're going to, if we're going to boycott, we might have to talk about that on the, on the, not all social media, right? Mm-hmm. We might have to figure out ways to create communities that will aid those that, um, need, need help. Like I think about the ice storms. We had these terrible ice storms here in Texas mm-hmm. and, the government just wasn't helping. And we had to, ourselves, in our own communities, come together and figure out how we were going to help each other, right? And we did. And so there's these moments where I just think there's plenty of examples of how we might need to get together and figure some things sure. out. And that, and that figuring those things out might require us to actually appear to be silent, yeah. right? But we're actually doing the work and talking with each other in other spaces, nope. maybe in the underground. Nope. That's the main That's the main point which I take, which is you got to do the work, uh, uh, talking loud and saying nothing, as I said uh, 
earlier quoting James Brown, but you got you got to do the work, and there's no way around it. Uh, in the in the ninety seconds I have left, right quicker, you mentioned that we've been talking essentially about love. I said a little this, a little that, and you said what well, we really talk about Tavis is love, and you're right. So in ninety seconds, I'm gonna let you close on a love note, however you choose to do that, right quick. Oh, that's beautiful. I think um, what I'm asking us. I remember growing up uh, in Pentecostal church. And they always say, uh, open critique is better than a secret love. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, 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 that came to mean is that sometimes we have to correct each other in front of each other rather than on the side so that we can sort of move forward together. And so one of the things I think we've been talking about this whole time is the ways in which we can strengthen the bonds between each other, mm-hmm. the ways in which we can really be considered of all of who we are, that we make mistakes, that we fall, that we falter, right? Um, And that we shouldn't, you know, that the goal is not to discard each other, but to find ways Mm -hmm. to call each other back and bring each other and make each other stronger. And I think um, that might be turning away from this quote-unquote exceptionality or the desire to monetize everything. Nope, that's a powerful love note on which to end. I grew up in that same Pentecostal church, so I know of which you speak. Uh, His name is Dr. Roger Reeves. His book is called Dark Days, Fugitive Essays. Dark Days, Fugitive Essays, Roger Reeves. University of Texas professor and honor, sir, to have you on this program. We will do this again, I promise. All the best to you. Love to. Thank you. Have a great one now. Stay strong.